0: I'm Stuart McLeod, CEO and co-founder of Carbon. Welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast, the show where I go behind the scenes with the world's top accounting leaders. Today, I'm joined by Pedro Noyola, the CEO of Balanced Business Group, which is a bookkeeping service that helps small and mid-sized business owners make faster, more data-driven decisions. Before acquiring Balance Business Group, Pedro led and grew a communication software company called FluentStream at more than 100% per year and was recognized as one of the fastest growing companies in America. Pedro started his career at Deloitte and then worked as an executive enterprise SaaS provider to Logis, which was later acquired by Verizon. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Accounting Leaders podcast, Pedro Noyola. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be on. Now we uh caught up in person not that long ago. Yeah, you
1: were nice enough to invite me out to Carbon <laughs> X at the beautiful Hyatt Tapo where we hung out for a couple of days and I got to know you and a little bit better and the rest of the team. That was a just an awesome, awesome event. I can't say thank you enough for inviting me and also for gathering so many smart folks. I learned a ton that weekend. I think I told you this while I was there. I I went with a few very specific questions that I was looking to hunt down and talk with different people about. Yeah, I think I went with four questions and I got three of them answered within like the first hour. And I was like, this is going to be the best ever. And then there were so many additional questions that I added to my list that I got answered uh, and then started implementing essentially like the hour I got back. Uh, Great event. I can't
0: wait for the next one. Yeah, no, we're planning already. And uh, now you've had a really interesting journey to the accounting industry, but let's go way back and start at the start. And perhaps even we'll we'll touch on your uh, experience in the telecommunications industry. We'll do all that, but uh, we can go back further than that. What was your uh, childhood and education growing up? Tell us about that, Pedro.
1: Oh, wow. You're going way back. All right. Yeah. I'll I'll get on the stairs. The yeah, the therapist couch. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. I'll send you the bill. Yeah, really. But but just, uh, just I'll make up a fake license number, though, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah, We can start back there. So, yeah, it's probably uh, a similar story to some folks who might be listening. So, my my dad came over to the U.S. when he was fourteen. So yeah, wow he was technically born in the U.S. but uh, raised in Mexico. So I don't know if that like if I technically count as first generation. <laughs> um, but, uh, you close, know, very certainly,
0: close, certainly pretty close. <laughs> yeah. I mean,
1: he was taken back when he, uh, back into the Mexican, back into Mexico when he was zero. Yeah. So oh, he, wow. was, he spent the first 14 years of his life there. And, and so it was like, you know, sort of first gen experience where I was the first one in my family to graduate high school, first one to go to college. And growing up, my mom was, uh, doing data entry for the state of comptroller or for the state of Texas comptroller. Right. And so her her boss's 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 boss, right? Like, go way up the line, <laughs> uh, was an accountant, was a CPA. And for me, that was what I knew. I grew up in a super small town, a thousand people. I always say it as a joke, but it's not a joke. There were more cows than people in my hometown. Oh yes, yeah. yeah Austin, well, you can
0: see, well, you can say that about all of New Zealand.
1: <laughs> yeah, a little bit that's sheep, right? So <laughs> it's different. <laughs> that's what I knew is like the tip of the professional experience is being an accountant. And so I went to the university of Texas that has an amazing accounting program, shout out, you know, Hookem, and, <laughs> and I also got, got funneled into their professional accounting program. That was five years. You know, at the end of it, you ended up with your master's in accounting and then went to go work at Deloitte. Uh, they were nice enough to let me go to San Diego. To work instead of the Dallas office where I interned, and I did a year uh, at Deloitte before jumping ship into entrepreneurial ventures. Yeah, and then that was my really my only year in public accounting was my very first year out of college. I learned a ton and still use a lot of, especially the organizational skills and sort of documentation and sourcing skills to make things super clear. Because right? I was like work papers and this was back in the day where we still had like actual physical papers. Yeah uh, yeah were incredibly important. And, and so yeah, those are skills I, I still carry with me. And then from there, yeah, you you touched on some other stuff, but I bounced around a lot. I mean,
0: you know, I guess apart from the obvious, <laughs> why Deloitte just for the year and into the unknown world of entrepreneurship? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great question.
1: It was a really, really hard year was it we were understaffed hmm. and i think the transition for anybody coming out of college into their first job into the workforce is yep. always tough yep but to get thrown into the deep end you know we were working 70 80 90 hours plus some that year yeah right um, just again we were we were understaffed through that busy season and the, the busy season never really ended it you know went into the extension season and then i remember at the end of it I was sitting with um, our partner in charge of the office going through that year and I had a great rating and it was, you know, I had seen these TV shows about what this is supposed to be like and that like big, you know, happy Gilmore size check that they give you for your bonus <laughs> uh, <laughs> at the end of it that, that didn't come right. Uh, Cause it's the real world and that's not how work works, but I, I didn't know it at the time. So I was pretty crestfallen and disappointed, but that was, that was a good push because I saw basically what they were billing me out at and said, nobody should be paying that for me. <laughs> but if they're going to pay it, then then I want to I get the lion's share of that and jumped out and started a BPO company. So business process outsourcing, where part of what I did at Deloitte is connect us to... This was when we were... It was just getting off the ground within Deloitte to the Indian office. And so I learned about communications and systems and processes that need to be in place to work across the globe. And then, you know, got connected to a team out there who helped me provide those services to other accountants and financial advisors and insurance agents to do data entry um, and do that type of work. So that was my first entrepreneurial venture in the real world.
0: Yeah. So that was sort of combining your experience with Working with big corporate, as well as family connections, as well as your desire for a bit, perhaps a bit more work life balance, right?
2: <laughs> yeah. I was saying,
1: funny enough, there was no work life balance.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it was that's, unbalanced. <laughs> that's not the way that
1: entrepreneurship works, as everybody yeah. o- already knows. So that was a few years of really plucking away, trying to build up a clientele and cutting my teeth in entrepreneurship. And then got pulled into. A car startup that was you know they were looking i know it's like a hard hard right turn
0: yeah Um, uh, very good good.
1: yeah but they were looking (laughs) for somebody with my degree from Mm. the university of texas uh, living in the southwest u.s with entrepreneurial experience so they were looking for something (laughs) very specific yeah my resume checked all the boxes and they reached out to me through facebook i remember this Mm. and that's the weirdest way to recruit. Uh, I've, <laughs> I've never done it, but no. it, yeah, it worked for the, you know that team. And so I ignored the first outreach. And Evan, the recruiter, was really persistent and said, no, 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 just meet with the team, meet with the team. And I promise it's going to be worth your time. And it was. And it was one of the smartest, best teams I've ever worked with. And I, I'm still wow. in touch with a lot of those guys um, so many years later. It was, mm. it was such a joy. It was such a joy. We didn't end up getting all the funding that we needed. So Tesla is where Tesla is today. And nobody ever heard our name because we were in stealth for too long until it was too late. But six of the people there been through business school at Harvard Business School. And right. they encouraged me to apply. Yeah, And basically, they were really, really tough coaches. I wrote my first essay. It's my first application essay and handed it to them and you're so nervous and these guys already <laughs> gone through and they're so smart and they had the stamp already and i get just a giant x you know oh, on nice. the first draft <laughs> yeah and it said you know good luck applying anywhere but they did it with a chuckle and then sat down with really constructive criticism and helped with the essays and the interviews and so yeah after that experience. In working with them, it really did help me feel like I could contribute at a place like Harvard Business School, and it was that was a life changing experience.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so, okay, well, or uh, was it an electric car company? Was that the idea, or or just a, a a car company in general?
1: No. So we were the modern day Volkswagen buck. That was our dream, or the modern day yeah. Model T. So this was a group, like the, the folks who started it had been in consulting at that point for 30 years you know they were um at the these were ideas they had been collecting and consulting with the auto industry as you know strategy consultants for their for their entire lives and they just said like
0: they knew the industry pretty well
1: they did from the outside right and i think that was what what really made it special is they said hey here's if we could do it from the ground up and yeah. we didn't have to like manipulate this giant organization to try to yeah. implement the strategy that we know will work. Here's what we would do, yeah. And, and so they they collected all those ideas, and uh, collected people, collected funds, and started to implement them. And on day one, they gave me the Innovator solution, so Clayton Christensen's book,
2: and oh, said, "Yep, yep, yep, yeah." yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. It, which is still, I think, my business bible. It, you know, so many great ideas. Ah. Uh, Jobs in be that done. Book. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they handed me the book and said, hey, read this is what we're doing to the car industry. And and even though you know I was the accountant and off in the background managing our, our funds and money, learned a ton about strategy and marketing and financing and really just at that point, still a small team. I was able to get involved in a lot of different places and love being a car guy and considered that as a career is something that I would do even after that experience and after business school. But you know, in the end, wanted to come back to the West coast and live in Southern California, which is, is hard to do as a car guy.
0: And ultimately the company perhaps too early, too late, not enough money, et cetera. But uh, if you're still in touch with all those guys, what have they gone on to? probably, amazing and great things by the sounds of it (laughs)
1: uh yeah amazing and great things um let's see we've got one who's a really successful venture capitalist out of london right now um another who has started a a vc fund focused on hardware he lives in l.a now some really top tier tech executives sprinkled through silicon valley here and those on the business side and then the, the designers and engineers and uh, those folks are are leading, leading automotive companies and automotive suppliers throughout cool. the country and the world now. So, there's a great team.
0: Well, here, here you go, because uh, I've I've gotten this terrible habit of of doing thirty seconds of half-assed internet research during podcasts. <laughs> but there's there was twenty one million. So if the, if they were going to be the new age bug, which I reckon my mum had a a bug in um, or a beetle, I should say a VW Beetle. And I reckon I would have been six or seven maybe. I'd have to ask her. So that would have been 1982. Well, I would have been eight. So it's 21 million. No, nearly 22 million Beetles built in uh, in in both in Germany and in Brazil. So there you go. I mean, that's. I reckon they're a fascinating car. And, and Volkswagen have, have recently – I don't think they've released the um, – Oh, I don't think they've made production yet. But the other famous Volkswagen, of course, was the camp event where the um oh yeah. So they've re- they've reinvented the Scooby Doo van. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You ever, did you ever see Herbie? I, I remember. I reckon I w- watched Herbie the 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 movie, the Love Bug, the Herbie the Love Bug. Thank you, man. Yeah, that's been a minute. <laughs> that's been a long minute. Yeah, they
1: used to come on TV, so I would watch it on on television. Might yeah, drag like, that out it out for my
0: kids. <laughs>
1: yeah, the. the Yeah, What a huge accomplishment, right, to put out 21 million vehicles. It's been essentially the same vehicle since, you know, their first one. Yeah. That's what we were looking to do. So it was going to be sub $10,000, five-star crash test rated, doing 40 miles to the gallon on an internal combustion engine. Yep. But it was a super modular car. So the plan was when when it got cheap enough, we could Mm. switch out the drivetrain and Mm. put in, and we were already like sourcing the parts and where we would where we'd get it in, in talks with different manufacturers to talk about whether it be hydrogen or diesel or an electric motor being ready for that next evolution. But yeah, the car still well, wouldn't that, have changed. It would have been the same color, same shape, same size, the same interior, just a, a different drivetrain.
0: Yeah, well, that that concept is now alive and well in Volkswagen, also with its electric. It's the mod, The modern electric drive matrix was essentially a couple of types of models on the one chassis, the one sort of battery configuration. Audi is using it. I think Porsche is using it in in bits and pieces. So, you guys are ahead of your time.
1: <laughs> we it was a we were and it was a cool place to be. And yeah, you know, we were doing that to the extreme. Where well, I guess the Model T was the same. Where it's going to come out in one color. Uh, you can
0: have any cut the old classic, right? You can have any color you like.
1: (laughs) We could, we had a plan to. Mm. I don't know if you remember this. Do you remember when you could like skin your phone? And in fact, I think the company was called Skin It.
0: Um, Oh, yeah, uh, vaguely like uh, iPhone age or Nokia age phones.
1: No, 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 it was, was, I think that was smartphone age, but like you could, you could wrap your phone in a skin like you do, um, essentially like you can cars but we're going to set that up to where you could put anything you wanted on your car anything you could imagine any color any design a oh, photo cool. <laughs> you could skin your car and that was that was part of the purchase price right yeah and that was changeable so like say you wanted a pink car one year and next year you wanted a sunflower all right know, take the skin off and redo it
0: do you think uh, like to do, to do your phone is one thing because then you you know you're only advertising that you've got poor taste to a few people <laughs> to, to skin your car maybe maybe manufacturers go hang on I don't want I don't want the, the plebs of society ruining my my years of design with with their crap <laughs> that's uh, <funny>. decals. <laughs> that's funny there was but a guy
2: yeah, there was a guy, was a guy in stuff. Mill
0: Valley there was a guy in Mill Valley. That every year would get a brand new like GT three, <laughs> you know I don't know what 400, 500 grand, and create the most horrific <laughs> decals. One year he he had like um this sort of fake Picasso. One one year he had like a I don't know it was probably a little bit culturally insensitive to Australian Aboriginal paintings, but it was sort of like this dot painting around the car, which <laughs> is like see if really? people do that, really? I think I think like it might cause There'd be some controversy, no doubt.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, they they would have to say like money doesn't buy taste. So yeah,
0: yeah, 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 oh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. That's that's not not nah. if twenty twenty two proves nothing else but that, that phrase to be true. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. What a crazy time for us to be alive and living in. I can't okay. wait to like I reckon tell our kids
0: these stories. But, oh yeah, yeah. That'd be like fuck you generation you look what you've done <laughs> that's a i don't know it's like
1: we're reaping what other generations have sowed and maybe 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 light bulbs are going off for enough of us oh, that we can the turn it around room. yeah yeah <laughs> but there's a lot to turn there's a yeah, yeah which is <laughs> get, I mean, yeah. part of the reason yeah we've been talking about cars the whole time yeah. we are a one car family <laughs> yeah partly for that reason it's like our car just doesn't move and yeah, yeah it's like we really don't need even one car, but it's really helpful sometimes. Even though we live out in the burbs, so yeah, if enough people have those sorts of like little light bulbs, you know, hmm. maybe, 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 maybe we can, yeah, you know, keep some trees and some clouds for our kids. <laughs> yeah. I'm,
0: I'm I'm an optimist at heart, Pedro. I'm an optimist. I, th- I think we'll be able to make it happen. All right, I hope so. Okay, so before it's time, car company an amazing experience, amazing group of people. And then it came to a point where you're like, oh, we'll probably have to um, move on to something else because for financial reasons or it was sort of not going ahead or whatever. So what what happened at the end of that? <laughs> oh, well, that's where um, I, I went to business
1: school and right. yeah, yeah cool. the, the car company, I think it was sold for parts. We don't really know. Uh, there was rumors that some Russian car company bought it. And I think we recent, like a group of us, recently saw a picture of the car floating around online. So who knows? Who knows what would yes. happen? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I went to grad school and then after grad school joined another awesome team um funded later on by by Kleiner, and that was another amazing experience. Yeah, when I joined, I think we were somewhere around, I think. Thirty or fifty million in ARR—I don't remember exactly—and then by the time I left, through different acquisitions and different amalgamations, yep. we ended up at one point two billion in cool. ARR over a cool. you know five-year period. That was great, and I—I I, I was working. We were deploying this technology where we put GPS boxes on vehicles, Yep. and then aggregated that data across really large fleets, cool. and. Yeah, pull that in to help people optimize the number of trucks, the type of trucks, you know, their driving behaviors, their routes. And yeah, going into these blue collar spaces and showing them how technology and data can help improve things that they've been doing at that point longer than I had been alive. And I remember going into construction sites and into warehouses, sitting across and trying to like pitch the product and and sell it. Yeah, and somebody was saying like, literally tell me like i've been coming into this office sitting at this desk for 35 years doing it the same way yeah and you're telling me that this is going to be better and it's yes yes yeah, it is. What the just hell try you just know? try it <laughs> yeah yeah exactly what the hell would you know but uh for the folks who bought into it and the folks who tried it it did revolutionize their businesses and it was really really cool to be a part of that and to see it happen
0: hmm. no bad. And so you you would have picked up a lot of uh, field sales experience. You're sort of learning the craft, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, that was um, coming out of coming out of grad school. I looked at people who had jobs that I thought I wanted, which was leading a B 2 B SaaS software company, to, to like your like your job. And a lot of them had carried a bag at some point. You know, almost yeah. all of them carried a bag and been the salesperson yep. or been a salesperson. Yep. Yep. And so the writing on the wall for me was pretty clear and i was one of the very 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 few people to go and take a sales job out of business school
0: oh that was brave that was good on you
1: <laughs> yeah it paid it paid dividends later on uh to gain the experience and to know how it works and to stand naked in front of a customer and try to convince them to use the product is extremely valuable experience mm. that, Yeah, like i said about Deloitte and like my taking and tying and documentation, those are things that carry with me every day.
0: Yep. And then uh, after your sales experience, did you grow go through that company, or you uh, took that somewhere else, or what was next for you?
1: Yeah, I grew with the company and ended up reporting to our founder and got to do all sorts of things. And yeah, it was basically just thrown at hard problems and said, "Go, go solve this." And that's what i i did for the years that i was there and then a buddy of mine from from grad school he was looking to pivot transition his career away from private equity which is when he and i had a conversation he said hey you've been working and building up these software companies for other folks and i've been investing in them now mm. why don't we team up and mm. see if we can do this together and so i just listened to the episode where he brought chris on from system six
0: yeah, he's great. Uh, yeah.
1: Um, so similar experience where yeah. we sought out to go and buy a small company and build it and grow it. That was another great experience. My partner and friend is still there running the, the company. And I am now here at, at Balance Business Group in round two, where similarly, just over a year ago, at this point, a year and a half ago, I guess they went out looking for another business to buy. And just over a year ago, closed on, on Balance Business Group.
0: Great. And and so the one that you're running with your VC, mate, was uh, FluentStream.
1: Correct. Yep. Yeah. Where yeah, he and I built that up over a few years. And uh, like mm-hmm. I said, he's still there growing it. And Great. yeah, I, I found the next adventure.
0: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> all right. Well, let, let's get into Balanced Business Group. So this was an existing firm that... Uh, we, we, how did you sort of come across? How did, how did all the transaction take place when you took it over?
1: Yeah, good question. So the the previous owner had spent 12 years building up the business and got to a point where she she tapped out you know she was working more than she wanted to giving up more of her life to the business than she wanted to and was looking for help to sort of complete her vision of where she yep. knew the business could go Yep. she had engaged a broker and at the time i was Kicking around all sorts of rocks, trying to figure out what sort of business I was going to acquire. I, I didn't have my heart set on, you know, outsourced accounting or bookkeeping, but it had a few conversations. And the broker who she engaged is one of the people that I had a conversation with. And you know, after talking with her, learning more about the business, you know, sort of getting my arms around this space, it met a lot of the dimensions that I was looking for, and got really, really excited to. What I thought I was going to do when I first had the conversation was do a a roll-up. So go out and buy a handful of these or a few handfuls of outsourced accounting and bookkeeping businesses and put in systems processes and build them into a medium-sized company. Yeah, that plan, once I landed, I thought I was going to do it, told everybody I was going to do it. This is is what we're going to do. This business, Balanced Business Group, is focused on wineries and vineyards. And at the time, I didn't pay that much mind. You know, I like wine, but it, it wasn't something I had a deep passion for. But honestly, like after even just a few months in, I really got romanced by mostly <laughs> the people, but there are yeah. also some great perks. Yeah, yeah these yeah uh, our clients are our boutique wineries. I you know, in between like 500 cases of production per year to 20,000 cases of production per year, not things that you're going to see on the shelf at Trader Joe's or, or Bevmo for the most part. And they're just really warm, welcoming, salt of the earth, great people. And so I got to know them. I was like, man, this is great. Really like working with people who I like, right? I think we've Mm, all had- Isn't it amazing? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Cause you know, we've all had jobs and experiences where it's just sort of like you trudge into work every day. And it's like, oh, I don't want to talk about this thing with these people. Hmm. you know it just like this is not what i want to do with my day yeah and that that wasn't the case here and so first fell in love with the people and then started to get to know more and more about their businesses and you know the, the winery business is one where it doesn't have to be that big of a business to be super complicated and you know there's an agricultural component a manufacturing component multiple mm. go-to-market channels because they're selling mm. wholesale or direct-to-consumer or trying to provide this you know beautiful tasting room experience that's a retail experience with merchandise and their own products. And there's, there's a lot going on there, plus you layer on the compliance mm. uh, aspect of it. It gets super complicated, which for yeah. me, I like puzzles mm. and I like problem solving. And so it gave me the chance to work on a lot of different of puzzles and problems with them at the same time that i was working on balanced business group and turning us into you know a truly remote first digital web application adopting business right so she had gotten it almost there the previous owner had gotten it almost there and that i i you know spent the past i've spent the past year sort of pushing us uh to the finish line and so now a year in i feel like we're in a great spot uh working with great clients we've been able to grow and offer more and more services slowly to help our clients solve more and more of their accounting and finance issues and at the same time build up our infrastructure to be able to bring on new people to manage the growth to bring on new clients in fact i mean talking with you guys and hopefully carbon will be the final piece of that puzzle to bring <laughs> it all together yep. and, and really help us and you know, take it to the next level
0: yep no that makes sense what um I love the people aspect of, of the winery business. We've had a couple of podcast guests that talk about you know the cannabis industry. Uh, i have had a couple that, that are in the wine industry, and, and to uh, too. Yeah. Yeah, It's just getting competitive research. But the, um, uh, it's a service we provide. The, um, it is that, though, right? It's like, I can really get in the the trenches are so enjoyable here. <laughs> we get to hang out, we get to drink nice wine. we get to solve interesting problems and the problems are as you mentioned you know it does get complex quickly you got as you said your compliance and your taxes and distribution and manufacturing costs and consultants and and you don't have to be producing that much wine to it's really hard industry to get profitable at small scale my guess is a lot of the people aren't in it for massive profit as they're doing it because they love it because they love the lifestyle around it yeah
1: well that's definitely part of it i mean they're different personality types, right? Some people have it's a passion where you're right, like they don't need it to make a lot of money, you know, because they've been able to do something somewhere else uh for their career. But there are a lot of folks for whom it is or their family's legacy, you know, their family yep. business. And yep. they've done it. Yeah, They've been farmers for generations and you know, they're they're coming at it from a different aspect where they do need it to be a real business to put food on the table on the yeah, yeah,
0: the kid thanks and, dad you left me with this unprofitable uh <laughs> a whole lot yeah. of grapes <laughs> yeah and it's uh
1: yeah exactly it's like it's easy to make the wine but then you got to yeah. go sell it in yeah. your you know that's where it can really turn unprofitable even though you have this beautiful vineyard beautiful you know beautiful estate, and make an amazing wine it's a tough industry to sort of be noticed yeah. especially in today like the social media right. world and you know, breaking through and sort of getting your name out there can be really hard.
0: What comes to mind when I ask you about, you know, somebody that you've really enjoyed working with and and you've you've seen their their success grow in the short time that you've been working with them?
1: Oh man, like one of our clients? Hmm. I'll give a shout out to Mrs. Adams and and Kit over at Adamus. This is boutique winery. Again, you're not going to see it on the shelves at your local grocery store. It's one of the places where you got to know, you got to be in the know to know about them, but it's a, in it top tier experience to, you know, the place that they've built the estate that they've grown in the business that they've built has been a lot of fun to work with over the past year. it was one of the places when I had just taken over the business uh, from Sean, the previous owner, and you know, it was going out and meeting folks, meeting the clients and really wanted to get FaceTime and, and get in front of them and i'm taking pictures and sending little snapshots to my wife as i'm (laughs) pulling up and driving up and looking at the buildings and and saying like you know look at this rolling vineyard you know on top of yeah on top of napa looking back down this is work yeah yes
0: yeah Yeah, and the kids
1: (laughs) yeah i'm walking into a work meeting how's your day yeah
0: yeah, that's right yeah thanks thanks you can cook your own dinner tonight
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, uh, no, but that's actually, yeah, that's another part of the past year that's been incredibly fulfilling is being able to bring my wife and my kids out to meet clients. Like once a month, we try to do a tasting at one of our clients and that's work also, you know, I'm meeting them, seeing, you know, seeing them in person, but at the same time doing something fun in a beautiful setting with my family. And for me, that was a big impetus to acquire uh bbg Mm. is to be able to to do all of those things at the same time there's i mean we've all been there too right so many choices so many times where you feel like you have to choose between work and family or work and fun um and here's a place where i get to mix them all up and do them all Mm. at the same time
0: Mm. and you're you're very deliberate about the growth of your family and and the way that you operate your family do you want to so tell us a little bit about that and where you're comfortable.
2: Yeah,
1: sure. Yeah, I get made fun of from my friends about this. My, my wife and I both do because it is a little extreme. I'll give that. We have, <laughs> but my wife went to to business school also. She was one of my my classmates. That's how we met. Oh, and nice. yeah, we, we both come at it from really similar lenses and perspectives. And her family had a lot of these practices also. So we're sort of, We've adopted them and built on them. So we have family board meetings we try to do every month where we check in on our family OKRs, mm-hmm. which we set at the beginning of every year. Mm-hmm. And we have OKRs, if you know some folks are familiar with them, their objectives and key results. So mm-hmm. one of our family object- objectives is to build badass kids. That's like <laughs> word for word uh, what we have down. And, you know, one of the, the key results is to make sure that at this point, my kids are tied. They're almost three and almost one. And so the the key results right now are just make sure that they're getting so many hours of socialization and so many opportunities to play and to learn and to grow and have new experiences. So uh, we, like I said, we check in on those every month. And right now, this year, the kids are crushing their OKRs. Oh, good. Uh, yeah. Good. Well, they're, yeah, they're, yeah.
0: they're, they're straight, straight to Harvard for them then. <laughs> well,
1: it's going to come up in their performance review, right? <laughs> we don't right. want them to be on a pit. Yeah.
0: Uh, be out, out, out on the street.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like the old like Jack Welch Neutron Jack method. You know, That's it. Bottom be, 10% uh, of the kids, you're out of here. <laughs>
0: Yeah. yeah the stack rank oh that's nice yeah. stack rank your family the <laughs> that'll, yeah, that'll exactly. take off <laughs> oh <No>, but like <laughs> uh yeah
1: our, our youngest Santiago. he uh he's like i said 10 months and he's been on four international flights there you go um, yeah which is part of us wanting to get a new experience also my wife goes back and forth between here the you know the bay area and denmark and copenhagen Yep. She was breastfeeding, so that was how she made it work. It's, yep. it's taking yep. him on the plane. Um, he's, he, he's been a super trooper, just an amazing, amazing traveler. Yeah.
0: Helps, uh, and I also I imagine the post-COVID world, you sort of felt probably uh, a bit cooped up uh, for, for a while like everybody else and getting out there amongst it uh, this year has been a uh, sort of something that a lot of people have been trying to do.
1: Yeah, we... Um, we were pretty careful. I'd, I'd put us like in the, like, we, we weren't in either extreme. Um, mm. but we, we leaned closer to like in the middle, being careful, like sort of yeah. Yeah, lean that way slightly. And we yeah, f-
0: sure, especially if you was pregnant during COVID, yeah. you, you're going to be pretty, pretty cautious.
1: <laughs> yeah. For a huge chunk of it, she was, um, yeah. but it caught up with us just a couple of weeks ago. We, uh, oh, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, this, this latest variant got us. We fought it off for two and a half years. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, they all tested, my kids and wife tested positive on a Sunday, and then I was dancing around the house all week long, gloating about my superhuman
0: <laughs> immune yeah, system. Yeah, good you. Well, that, that, yeah. the, the, the virus gods saw that, didn't they?
1: <laughs> oh, they did, and they dropped the hammer <laughs> on me. Like, yeah. Friday morning, I just opened my eyes and immediately knew. It was like, yeah. oh, this
0: this doesn't feel good. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, but now we're all on the other side of it. Yep. matches up with everybody in the end. But, um, you know, f- family values is something that we haven't gone as far as you have in. Uh, I haven't set the kids OKRs, okay but I, uh, the first one that comes, to ours are, uh, what are we, 12, 10, 4 now. And yep. um, they've well and truly achieved their um, their iPad time this quarter. Um, <laughs> they're they're pr- probably maxed out there. Uh, but, yeah. um, you know, a little bit like you, where are We're sort of going through the process of setting family values. Do you want to share a a value or an OKR that comes to mind that, um, you know, has sort of helped direct perhaps a change of behavior or like uh, something you reflect upon and go, oh, well, you know, go us. We we did fucking good there.
1: (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's probably like one of the ones when my oldest daughter was born I forget how we worded the objective, but it was basically like just to be sure that she's going to be okay, no matter what happens to my wife or me. And that was like a go us because it forced us to ask some hard questions and answer Mm. some hard questions and get it done Mm. fast. Right. So like, uh, our living wills and getting life insurance and things that Maybe don't get done, maybe get done when they're like four or five or six, um, you know, if it it happens at all. So this practice of my wife and I sitting down at, you know, the beginning of the beginning of the year and saying, like, here's what we see happening. Here's what we want to happen. You know, how are we going to attack this? Because we both, we both have busy careers and, you know, my wife is a, she is a planner. You know, like good, yeah, I can yeah, I can have cool ideas and <laughs> and say like, here's what I think would be fun. Here's what I think would be awesome. And she puts it all in motion and our calendars planned out like six months in advance. Good, yeah, but that was one where we had to like think ahead because this is before she, my daughter was born, mm. you know just thinking ahead of like what do we need to do to be grown-ups, right? Yeah. it's like I was thirty eight when she was born so at that point it should have been a grown up but still i think it was like <laughs> some people having... are
0: 68 and still not so don't worry <laughs> yeah yeah exactly
1: but like having kids is just like pushed us into a new realm of adulthood that we weren't ready for but this very very nerdy practice of having family meetings and okrs and goals and budgets um mm-hmm. sort of set us up to be ready to take on
0: No, good for you. I mean, it's it's really the what it's a forcing function of a deliberate conversation, and and you know because you can you can easily go through marriages, go through family with it, you know, and just just life gets in the way, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, and like all the studies show, you know, after kids, there's a dip in marital happiness. Yeah, and it's just it can be a really really tough time,
2: and it Mm.
1: and it definitely has been for us. But one of our goals, so we got we've got one goal that focuses on you know, our finances, one goal that focuses on our kids and one goal that focuses on, you know, my wife and, and my relationship and our marriage.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we even tell our kids, like, that's the, that's the ultimate, that's number one. You know, it's like, even though they're one and three, they're tiny. We just say like, you know, mama's number one, dad is number one. You know, this is like, we love each other uh, and we got to love each other and prioritize each other for the whole family to work.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And, and so we've been on a date, like part of that is, yeah, you know, we set an OKR to spend time together and like have a date every week, which we've been able to pull off for basically the first our daughter's gonna be three in two weeks, in a little over two weeks. We had a date every week, even during the depths of the pandemic, where that meant we got takeout food. Uh, yeah. From a restaurant that yeah. you know wasn't wasn't sitting you know wasn't seating anybody inside, and just went and parked in a park to eat it out, you know, to eat the food in the park for two hours and just be just be her and me.
0: Yeah, no, and it requ- it takes. I'm sure there's sometimes you're like, oh, I can't can't be bothered. We'll just uh, stay in or whatever. But but the deliberate act and the deliberate conversation makes for, uh, you know, the, the the a better relationship and a better family. So I applaud you for sticking at it. Well done. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah, Andrew. thanks. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's it doesn't always feel like the thing that we want to do, right? Yeah, like, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, my, my wife doesn't get tired. She's like, you know, I'm sure you'll meet her in person one day. She's just <laughs> this, like, Energizer Bunny bundle of energy that never stops. Mm. But, yeah, I'm human. And I get tired, <laughs> and sometimes I just want to sit on the couch and just like yeah. zone out. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. The the goal and the deliberate conversation gets us off the couch and out to a restaurant or a museum. My wife also has this goal of doing a cultural activity every week. Sometimes it overlaps with the date. Sometimes it doesn't. But yeah, <laughs> there I've you been, go.
0: You d- you double billing your time there.
1: <laughs> yeah, we've gone to see some really weird things because of that goal. Um, (laughs) In LA, we saw this play. We used to live in in Santa Monica and we saw the weirdest play that's ever been put on where, yeah, the point where we walked out is a guy came out on stage, didn't say a word, didn't engage with the other actors, just stood naked in the corner while, Mm. yeah, the, the other actors one was dressed up as a rat while a woman who was dressed up as like the MC of a circus whipped, (laughs) like played, like whipped him as he's, you know, dressed as a rat riding a bicycle.
0: Right. Oh, the bicycle makes makes it all the difference.
1: (laughs) That really pulled it together. Then, yeah. Then the plot made sense.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It makes so much more sense now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he uh, walked out, and then we walked out. It was like, "Yeah, a, yeah. well, I mean, you know, yeah, this has all got too much." Oh, I get it. All right, well, we saw Absinthe. Have you seen Absinthe? No, what's that? Oh, that's sort of Cirque du Soleil for adults, and uh, oh, so cool. I, I, I wouldn't. It wasn't as weird as that, but it got. There was some weird points, that's for sure. <laughs> all right, Absinthe. We'll check the Absinthe, out. and so that you were in Santa Monica. Where Where are you now?
1: We live in Burlingame, which is this very quaint little suburb south of san francisco my wife is we we're lived, we lived a dog patch in the city and she was commuting oh, down Palo alto nice. yeah and then saw this place with trees and grass
2: Yeah, oh, um, awesome. on her
1: train ride yeah and yeah we we checked it out and at the time she was pregnant so we were living in a small apartment in the city and looking for more space and the second we got out, we just parked our car in a random street in burlingame and the second we got out, the sun's shining, the birds are singing, the sun's like poking through the trees. And we see, at the time I knew we were having a little girl, I, I see this dad on a bike with his little girl following him with her her bike streamers and her flag
0: sticking <laughs> off. She was happy.
1: Yeah, it was like a Disney movie. Yeah. Uh, and so we cool. were immediately sold and said, like All right, we're moving into the burbs and we've loved it here. There's, yeah. Tons and tons of strollers. I mean, it's probably similar to Mill Valley. And
0: yeah, people leave. The southern end versus Well, we, we, um, uh, yeah, I, I get it. Dog, Dog Patch, though, Dog Patch had the best French butchery of Ooh. all of San Francisco. It was amazing.
1: <laughs> um, which one? Because there was the French sandwich place off of Third Street. Yeah. And then behind there, was The Butcher.
0: The Butchers. The Butchers was, we, we would drive from Mill Valley. I remember there was, well, my mum doesn't listen to this, so, so it's all right. So my mum was staying with us and Amanda and I were like, oh, okay. We've, I love my mum, but, uh, you know, like uh, a couple of days together and, and um, I'm a little bit, I get it baked, and uh, <laughs> and yeah. I said to Amanda, you know, we should make a nice lamb roast or something. And I said, Mum, to Mum, you know, we will just got to go and grab the meat. So this is from Mill Valley to Dog patch you know, on like a Saturday or something, which is a good uh, probably hour. <laughs>
2: yeah, to get <laughs> so, just to get there,
0: to like get just, one
1: way through the city. Yeah,
0: exactly. And so, yeah. and so we're an hour, we're an hour there, and then. Like just next to the butchers, there's a um or or like close by. I reckon there's like a little wine bar or something, or maybe even part of it. Yeah, the place um, has changed so
1: much. I think yeah, Olivier's. Yeah. Was that
0: the name of the butcher? Olivier? So, yeah, that's right. It was it was too. It was Olivier. Yeah. And um and 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 then we sat down for a wine and then like we're sort of, you know, decompressing a bit. And then it was like two hours. So we're, we're about five hours getting this lamb roast. We're a little bit yeah. late getting back, but it was it was an amazing meal. <laughs> but uh, 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 I, no, I mean, yeah, I, I get it, right? Like Mill Valley has got its own funny aspects, but uh, you know, you're Burlingame in and, now? We're in Incline Village in North Lake Tahoe.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I did actually hear that on other episodes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but for similar reasons you're there right like you know raising the kids in in uh in, out of the city and you know diff- a bit more grass and a bit more um we we like the unstructured aspect of of like skiing and horse riding and all that stuff i, I think at least pre pandemic you know like the 7 or 8 hours a week on the 101 just going from mill valley to santa rosa or something for ballet was just getting it was it was at, you know like you talk about deliberate conversations my wife came over yeah. one day and i am like i'm fucking had it i'm done
2: <laughs> yeah
0: that's and i'm sick of it like going to you know 40 minutes for 2 miles is like it's just too much
1: <laughs> yeah we try not to drive if we can uh, yeah absolutely unless we absolutely have to it, and it just feels like you,
0: wasted time exactly and it's stressful driving and not, and just sitting in your car driving and actually moving somewhere is you don't feel the same it's the same level of stress as just sitting on a freeway with tens of thousands of other people.
1: <laughs> yeah. Although I, one thing I do miss about commuting and driving hmm. is that's the time I use to call my friends and a lot of my family. And just this last week, I went from here, uh, over to Fremont during a busy time. It was like during rush hour. Yeah, so I was like, an hour that way four and a half hours know,
0: an hour and a half back. <laughs> yeah to go to the uh, ten miles
1: yeah exactly like <laughs> i could probably like, you know i could throw a paper plane over to where i was going but uh i was able to catch up with all my friends and like had good conversations because i wasn't moving that fast and i had time but that's the one thing i do miss about not commuting even though again bbg balance group is a remote first company and my commute is down my flight of stairs to to my desk here. <laughs> um, I don't have as much time to to call my friends and catch up.
0: Well, you can always uh, you know swap out the commute for a walk. Is Berlin games that you don't you don't get the marine layer as bad there. So uh, you know like a, and uh, I've tried to at least do one walking meeting just to get outside and out of the desk. And uh, but sometimes you do need your your you know you screen share and all that stuff, but um, I don't know, we're just gonna again, we're gonna be deliberate about it. What's Pedro, what's next for for balanced business group? What's next for you and the family? Have you got um, a- uh, acquisition plans or something this year?
1: Nothing planned, but definitely selectively looking would love to to grow both ways, whether it be organically bringing on new clients, which you know we're we're well positioned to bring on new clients and Again, we're focused entirely on the wine industry and boutique wineries uh, that are doing less than 20,000 cases a year. And so there's lots of demand in our space. And I I haven't had the time this past year to really hustle and try to find new clients. And so that's one of the things that's on my agenda is getting out to more conferences, really like getting into the industry more. To find more clients and more, you know, more reference points, but just given given that experience, I've been able to get to this point in my career. Balanced Business Group BBG was my tenth acquisition that I led, so I will definitely look at additional acquisitions that fit our criteria, which is you know, outsourced accounting and bookkeeping. We don't do income taxes for wineries, and there's you know, given a cursory glance, there are plenty of folks. Who could be good acquisition targets for us? Yeah, and, yeah. And we'd be a good home uh, for folks. Is one of the things that drew me into the industry uh, was seeing the the trends of you know accountants aging out Your, and not enough yeah, new yeah. accountants coming into the industry. Huge yeah. problem. Huge problem. Um, yeah. So that was I knew like sort of in the back of my head that there'd be there'd be the chance to sort of add other businesses. To BBG uh, yeah. and grow, grow that way also.
0: We're we're uh, we're up on time, but we, we could do this. We could. We, there's plenty of topics here. I love the the uh, the car story. I love uh, talking about acquisition retention problem. I love talking about wine too. We didn't even barely get oh, into my my knowledge yeah. is um is a bit shite. Other than um, you know, I, I can I can easily give do you a virtual tour of Willamette. Or oh, nice. <laughs> yeah but, my, um, my knowledge <laughs> and
1: my palate over the past year have grown you know oh, good. exponentially
0: good there yeah. you go there's there's a fringe benefit without a paying tax on it there, there's even the counting joke for you thrown in at the <laughs> end eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. hey pedro this has been great i really appreciate your time and uh as always if there's anything that we can do at carbon uh to help you guys we'd be more than happy to do so
1: so i appreciate you having me on really enjoyed this experience and yeah i'm working with the team and hopefully uh we'll we'll have you guys in place and implemented before thanksgiving that's my goal and i'm putting it out in in the world here on the podcast to make it happen yeah (laughs) we'll manifest Uh, it for you (laughs) yeah all right i appreciate it thank you cheers thank you (laughs)
0: Thanks for listening to this episode. If you found this discussion interesting, fun, you'll find lots more to help you run a successful accounting firm at Carbon Magazine. There are more than a 1,000 free resources there, including guides, articles, templates, webinars, and more. Just head to carbonhq.com. resources I'd also love it if you could leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. Let us know you like this session. We'll be able to keep bringing you more guests for you to learn from and get inspired by. Thanks for joining and see you on the next episode of the Accounting Leaders Podcast.